Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Um, if you're just joining us, we are in um, a series which is going to take us a long time. We charted it out. I'm not going to tell you how long it's going to take because it might scare you. Um, but we're in a series which is called Sermon on the Mount. Ten years, not quite, Phil. Sermon on the Mount, and um, we are currently in the Beatitudes section, and the title of today's message is called, Why Am I Blessed? Why Am I Blessed? I want to talk to you about the Beatitudes and what Jesus is trying to do in the Beatitudes, and if we get this, this has the potential to completely reframe our life. And to actually get rid of some of that thinking which has been paralyzing you and keeping you numb, really. If we can actually meditate and, and go through this, I really believe it has that power and that potential. And um, that's why um, I, I really hope to land it. But the title is, Why Am I Blessed? And I want us to keep that question in mind. Why exactly, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, why am I blessed? I mean, you blessed because you've got a new car? Because seriously, like... Five years' time, that thing's going to break down. You might call it blessed today. You're going to be kicking it to, like, in five years' time. You know what I'm saying? But there actually is a reason why we as followers of Jesus Christ are blessed. And Jesus actually communicates this in the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, verse 1 to 12. I'm reading from um, a particular translation, the ESV, but it all should all be relatively the same. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some really interesting words there that Jesus is actually um, speaking. I've been reading through this, um, obviously, over the last couple of months, and even this week, I was kind of thinking, I mean, what an extraordinary way to start a teaching. Imagine, like, instead of, like, you, you know, what I usually try to do, I'll try to somehow get us into the text with some kind of angle, you know, like I try to be funny even though I'm not, or use some kind of story or, or something like that. Imagine if I, if I just started a sermon or sermon series and just blessed you guys. What an extraordinary way to start a passage. I mean, would you like that a little bit more? Maybe I should bless you guys more. You know, I bless you in Jesus' name. But what an incredible way to commence a series of teaching or, to, or for Matthew to even uh, sort of start the section which is kind of a summary of all of Jesus' teaching where if you were there in first century uh, Israel and you were following this unorthodox, strange uh, rabbi prophet Jesus of Nazareth and if you wanted to know what he was speaking, this is it, Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. But what an extraordinary way to start. Especially if you think about that word blessing because in the original language there were two kinds of blessings. One common way of, of using that word blessed, um, which is not the, the, the word that's used here, is, is that you would hope to one day be blessed. It was like a blessing. Like you, if, you, if you did something, then you would be blessed. But that's not what Jesus actually speaks here. 
He's actually pronouncing a blessing which talks of a present blessing as well as a future blessing. If you wanted some kind of earthly example, you would possibly look at someone like um, the children of um, Bill and Melinda Gates. I mean, who would like to be their children, right? And you would say, blessed are the children of Bill and Melinda Gates for their inheritance is the estate of Bill and Melinda Gates. That's pretty good, isn't it? I was going to use the Ryder kids, but you know what? They're getting nothing at the end of this. <laughs> but that's kind of that idea. And, and when we use that kind of earthly example, we kind of get an idea of what is actually happening, what that possibly means, because the blessing on, on those children, in some ways, at least in an earthly kind of way, in a monetary kind of way, if we were going to use that kind of example, their blessing far exceeds the blessings quite probably, most definitely, of Kayla and Jackson Ryder. But we have some kind of understanding when we use it in that context, don't we? I wonder what these people, this crowd of people, this random group of people who are following Jesus, I wonder what they heard on that day when Jesus sits down, opens his mouth, and pronounces blessing on their life. I wonder what they heard. Because the thing is, when I read that, I read into it, don't I? And I've read a lot of commentaries and books and all sorts of stuff, talked to a lot of people. And, and there are some ways that we read this and we really read our Western Christian modern ideas into this word. But I wonder what the original hearers, I wonder what they heard. I think that's our challenge, that we need to somehow remove ourselves from the year 2021 and actually try to get into Israel's story. We need to somehow try to get into well, what, what is it? Like if I'm one of these people who are following Jesus, if I'm like severely sick, if I've got illness, if I'm like paralyzed, if, if I'm like considered one of the fringe people of Israel, yet I'm a person like that following Jesus and he pronounces blessing on me, I wonder what I heard. What did I understand? Because that is a key thing for us to actually understand why we are blessed here today. Understanding what I'm saying. So today I want to show you why we are blessed, and I'm going to use the verse that we're up to, kind of a random one, um, and I'm, I'm actually going to work this out so you can actually take what I'm going to do today, and you can apply that to the other blessings, and you can actually be able to extrapolate it that way. But Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says this, this is what we're up to today, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, Right? Now, the AFL season hasn't begun yet, so you might have said, blessed are the Fremantle Dockers. But they aren't going to get duck comforted, you know what I'm saying? Are they, Gerard? Not this year, not next year. Are there, are there any um, Fremantle Dockers in the church, by the way? I thought we got rid of you guys. <laughs> okay, I'll repent after this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But before we go into that, let's deal with a couple of ways that we read into these blessings. I think there's two big um, common ways that we can easily read into these particular blessings. The one is, and I think Matthew, Matt um, commented on this last week. Um, if you missed last week's um, messages, go back and listen to them. Matt was phenomenal. I was okay, but Matt was the, Matt's the man. So one common way is that we view them as ethical teaching. As if it's almost like a ladder that Jesus is doing. I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. And if I do this, then I become blessed. That's that first definition of blessing, see? Now, that would make sense apart from the fact that Jesus doesn't use that word when he says you're blessed. But it's so easy for us to do that. And, and make no mistake, there is a thread of truth because there are other parts of Scripture that actually talk about these virtues, how we're supposed to embody and embrace these virtues. But that is not what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, 
And that's important for us to understand. So, so, so even though we understand it, it doesn't give us a, a pass and say, you know what, I don't need to do this. <laughs> because I'll get... Let me tell you something just really quick. I was going to mention it next week. One, one way that Tim Mackey actually um, communicates about these Beatitudes, and again, Matt actually mentioned this last week, is that he says that every single Beatitude is like a panel of a stained glass window. They are beautiful and wonderful when you look at them by themselves. But the purpose of those panels is to actually put them together to see a grander image. And if you put all these images together, there is one image that you get, and that image is of Jesus. All right? That's the image that we get when we put all these Beatitudes together. And if I'm to embody Christ, if I'm supposed to look like Christ, then it makes sense that as I go along actually living under the reign of Jesus Christ, embodying more of the kingdom, living more as this new community, living more as true humanity, looking more like Jesus, then it does make sense that I will have to embrace this stuff. So it does, doesn't it? But that's not what Jesus is doing here. So I don't want us to push that to the side and say, you know what, I don't need to be merciful anymore, right? (laughs) Purity, (laughs) out the window. (laughs) No, you need to do that. So that's kind of the first one. Um, And the other one is like, it it kind of pertains to like these individual virtues. So Jesus is out there and saying, oh, you mob over there, you're the merciful ones. And oh, you guys, you look like you're pure over there. Um, He's not separating these things. He's not separating these things. Last night I um, communicated and taught about something that was very interesting in these Beatitudes that actually let us, us know that he's not separating these things. Because in the first eight of these Beatitudes, the ninth one's very different, but the first eight, we actually see um, which, a little technique which is quite common in the Scriptures, something that's called an inclusio. Everyone say inclusio. Do you have any idea what inclusio is? No. Think about brackets or think about a sandwich. All right? So you have a bracket, you have a bunch of content, and you have another bracket, you know? Or if you have a piece of bread, you have a lot of content, you have not, like, a sandwich is more tasty. But like, imagine a bracket. The purpose of the bracket or the purpose of the inclusio is to describe everything which is inside. And that lets us know what this is about. So if these were all individual things, it wouldn't be inside of this inclusio. Let me show you this inclusio really fast for anyone who wasn't here last Sunday night. Matthew 5 verse 3, and you need to pay attention to the language, okay? Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 verse 10 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that language. There's even broader inclusio from Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9, which actually I, 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 I mentioned that last week as well. But, but the content is about the kingdom of heaven. And that broader inclusio lets us know that Jesus is not separating these little things. The subject matter of everything that Jesus is teaching, the subject matter of everything that Jesus is preaching, and everything that Jesus is demonstrating in the Beatitudes, indeed the Sermon on the Mount, and actually his entire ministry, all boils down to this one fundamental thing. It is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And let's be honest, Jesus did not get crucified for saying, you need to love your enemy, did he? No, no. Pilate goes, oh, so you're a king then. King. That's why he gets crucified. It's a king message. It's a kingship message. And, and what I find interesting is that if you listen to the rendering of this inclusio with language, which is more closer to the original language, it reads like this. See if this changes how you sort of see um, these beatitudes 
and also knowing that there's a bracket here and everything inside belongs to these brackets. Just listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is made up of such as these. It's very different to, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, as opposed to Jesus looking out at this crowd and saying, oh, there's something that feels so familiar about these people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is made up of such as these. That's very, very different, isn't it? Because you have to ask the question, who are these crowds that are following Jesus? And the answer to that is actually found in Matthew chapter 4. It's important to actually read Matthew chapter 4 and chapter 5. Matthew 4, verse 25 to 35 says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. We're not just talking about, you know what, like my thumb's hurting right now. Severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the, Decap the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and, and the region across the Jordan followed him. There's this random group of people following him. And Jesus, he's saying this radical message about another kingdom, and they knew exactly what they meant, right? We'll touch on it in a moment. They knew exactly what they meant, but you would have thought that if there was going to be a kingdom message, and if someone was announcing, proclaiming a kingdom message, it would have been proclaimed in Jerusalem. But this isn't happening in Jerusalem. This is happening all the way out <laughs> in Capernaum, in a fishing village. This is happening out where it's not supposed to happen. And the people who are hearing this are not the elites of Jerusalem. They are not the intellects of Jerusalem. They are not the, the lawyers. They are not the scribes. They are the fringe people. In fact, they are people who are so on the fringe that they are sick, that they are demon-possessed, they are paralyzed. They are those that others would deem as dirty, as unclean, as keep away. And even in the fact that they are so far from Jerusalem, because the closer you get to Jerusalem, the more Jewish the community is. The further out you go from Jerusalem, the more mixed it is. So instead of just Jews, you have Gentiles as well, right? You know, like it would be kind of almost like in Jerusalem, there'd just be Eagle supporters, you know what I'm saying? And as you come out, you know, you get out far enough and Collingwood supporters sort of show their face. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that, but the Lord will forgive me. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the purity is in Jerusalem, but Jesus isn't in the place where it's more pure. He's actually out where there is such a mixture of people. Why in the world are these people hearing this message? And why is the church, by the way, are we known for being in these nice, clean places when the one who we follow is out in the dirt? Seriously. Dear Lord. Why are these friends? Well, I'll tell you why they are following him. And I'll tell you why there's absolute electricity in the atmosphere is because he is preaching about a kingdom. He is preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And not just that, he is demonstrating kingdom authority. He is healing literally everyone. And this proclamation about the kingdom of heaven, this isn't new, okay? It might be new for us, but it wasn't new for them. They were anticipating it. They were expecting it. They were waiting for this moment. Because they know their story. They've been swimming in their story. If you're like a little Jewish boy, a little Jewish girl, by the age of six, you know more of the Torah, you memorize, you've prayed more, you've sung more, and you've read more than any sort of person with a PhD today. Most probably. Maybe that's overreaching. But by the age of six, you know so much. So you are swimming in your story. You're swimming in the narrative of God, right? 
So they know that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, it never, ever, ever occurs to them that heaven is a place where oh, I kind of, oh, I'm just going to live my life on earth and I'm going to escape earth to go to heaven. They have no notion of escape theology like what the Western church has. And apparently Paul didn't seem to have it either. Or Jesus. But somehow with tradition, we've made, they never had that mindset. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, they don't have in their mind, we need to leave earth to go to heaven. They have in their mind, oh my goodness, heaven is breaking into earth. Right here, right now. In their mind, they're thinking there are kingdoms of this world and God has promised and He has shown over and over again that He asserts His kingdom among these kingdoms in particular ways. So when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God is near, they have got excited because it is happening right now. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in. You don't understand the kingdom of heaven is right here. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Anywhere where the will of God is done, anywhere where the reign of God happens. Right? So they know. They know. They know about this. And so, 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 so they know this is all promised. They all know this is happening. They know that God's promises, that they... There are things that God has promised to arrive. And the reason why we know that this is what is going through their heads, again, I'm trying to come back to, what were they thinking? What was their understanding when Jesus said, you're blessed? The reason why we know this is what was going through their head is because as Jesus sits on that mountain and opens his mouth and starts his Beatitudes, he is doing something that all the rabbis did. He's doing something that the Apostle Paul does as well in the New Testament. He's doing something which is called stringing pearls. Stringing pearls. What that basically means is that he will give a line or he'll give an image, and that line or that image actually arcs all the way back to Israel's story, Israel's scriptures. That's what he's doing. He's stringing pearls. Like, for example, it would work for us today. Like, if I said something like, the Lord is my shepherd, where does that take you? takes you to Psalm 23, right? But does it take you just to the first line? It takes you to the entire psalm. Yeah. That one line takes you to the entire psalm. Doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that doesn't take you to the first verse. That takes you to the whole creation narrative. I wonder what John was doing or what the Gospel of John is doing when the Gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word. He's doing exactly the same thing. He's stringing pearls and he's casting our mind all the way back to the creation narrative because that creation narrative, that creation theology is so fundamental in the Gospel of John. That's what he's doing. So when Jesus is speaking out these Beatitudes, we might hear something like, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, but he is actually he's thrown something out, and in the minds and the imagination of the crowd that are following him, they are totally enmeshed, who are swimming in Israel's narrative, swimming in Israel's story, hoping for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Their mind goes somewhere else to where our mind goes. And when their mind goes there, they realize that's why I'm blessed. That's why I'm blessed. Each of them taken back. And remember, these are not the best of the best. These are not deemed as the brightest of, 
or, or, or those who were excelling in society, in society. No, they had various diseases. They were suffering with severe pain. They were demon-possessed. They were having seizures. They were paralyzed. And they're the ones that Jesus hears them. So when Jesus blesses them, when he sits down, opens his mouth and blesses them, they know why they're being blessed. And they know why they're blessed. And the question is, do we want to know why we're blessed? Because the reason why you're blessed is not because you got a new car. Even though that's good. Because you have a new car today, it can be crashed tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? Have you seen some people on the roads? I was up at like five this morning going out to like pray and all that. I had this guy on my backside. I was like, dear Lord. It's not because you've got a new job today because that can go tomorrow. It's not even because you have your health today because that can be taken to you from you tomorrow. All of these things are good. All of these things are a gift from God and we should give thanks to God for them. But fundamentally, they are not the reason why you are blessed. It goes deeper than that. I want to have a blessing. I want to know a blessing of my life that cannot be taken away. Right? Ultimately, you and I are blessed for exactly the same reason that these people were blessed and this blessing was pronounced. When Jesus was saying that you were blessed, this is what he was saying. This is what you need to know, okay? What I need to know. This is what Jesus is saying. With every blessing, Jesus was saying, your waiting is now over because all of your eschatological hope, all of the promises of God that you have been waiting for are now fulfilled in me, and will be outworked through you. And that is the reason he says you are blessed. Everything that you're waiting for, everything in Israel's story, every single promise that, he, that God said, this is what is going to happen. This is what will come to fruition. It is now fulfilled in me, says Jesus. And you are blessed because not only that, it is now going to be outworked through you. This is some things that we've been talking about for a few years now, okay? So Matthew 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, the crowd, they've learned, they've memorized, they've prayed, they've sung, and they've meditated on more of Israel's scriptures than you and I could possibly imagine. So when they hear that, especially when they hear that word mourn, their mind immediately goes to a place, Okay? Even the way in which Matthew has constructed or written this sentence, this verse, it arcs back to a particular familiar place. It's a throwback to an entire chapter in which Jesus says, you are now blessed because of this entire chapter is now fulfilled in me and will now be outworked in you. And with that in mind, understanding that what Jesus is doing, he is stringing pearls. He is pointing back. This is a full-on throwback. And more than a throwback, he's kind of like throwing it all the way back and bringing it to the present and saying, everything that you were hoping for back then, it is now fulfilled in me. Now it's going to be outworked in you. Keep that in mind, especially if you're familiar with how... Luke starts Jesus' ministry. He's throwing back to Isaiah 61. Let me read Isaiah 61 out to you. It should be on the screen as well. And see if any of this language is familiar, okay? If you've heard Jesus use any of this language in the past, Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Oh, wow, the poor? Fancy that. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, right? And provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you, you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed all the wealth of you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast instead of your instead of your shame you will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace you will receive in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours for I the Lord love justice I hate robbery and wrongdoing in my faithfulness I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge and they are, that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Right? I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. When Jesus says that one line... Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Their minds go all the way back to Isaiah 61, and isn't that incredible? There's some great stuff in Isaiah 61, isn't there? Aren't you glad he's, he's stringing some pearls? Isn't it good to know that those things have been written in Israel's scriptures all the way back, like 700 years back over there, that they are still in play today? Isn't it good to know that when God says a thing, that thing does not die, but it actually comes back and he's going to fulfill what he actually spoke. Isn't that good to know? Isn't it good to know that this all rests on his faithfulness and not on the faithfulness of Israel? Isn't that good to know? Isn't it even better to know this whole thing rests on him and not on you? That's good to know, isn't it? Because if this thing rested on me, we're all stuffed. <laughs> Let me tell you. But that, that is what is happening. That's what's happening. So you're over there. You're at this mountain. Jesus sits down and he, he's speaking out these things. And your mind is just, your imagination is sparking. You're just going bang, bang, bang. It's, it's almost like with every single blessing that's being articulated, Jesus is taking you by the hand and your memories and your imagination and your dreaming is just sparking all these things in your mind. And you are taken back into your story as God's people. Jesus is saying, this is all now being fulfilled. And the thing is, it was just this morning that you experienced something different. If you're here last Sunday night, I was trying to paint a picture of what it would have been like for a first century Israel person. Just on a side note, just on a side note, before I get into this, just on a side note. Last month, we went through our purpose statement. Remember that? It's written in this book, um, which we got publicized. One of, the, um, one, one of the sentences, paragraphs of our purpose statement, which I just need to let you know right now, okay, is this. We declare it is only in relationship with Christ that we can truly know 
who we are and acknowledge that we are all on different stages of that journey. Man, we are all on different stages of that journey, let me tell you. But this is what I want to just bring to your remembrance. We work as New Spring Church, all right? We work to discover the truth of God's word, believing it addresses every issue of the human heart. I believe that. The gospel does. But if you're part of the family, we work. If you miss a Sunday, you're going to have to catch up. All right? We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, and you will miss it if you don't do some work. The heavy lifting is going to be done by those of us who study and come here. But you're going to have to work. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to, at the very least, go back and listen. What did Matt speak about last Sunday morning? What did Dave speak about last Sunday? If you, like, if you know anyone who's away today, you're going to say, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to listen. Because if you're part of the family, what do I say? Week 1 of February. Are you part of the New Spring family? Do not answer that. Because to the extent that we embody this, that is our answer. And for us to actually be discipled, we're going to have to do a bit of work. Is that all right? Okay? All right. So you're going to have to do some work. So... That's the side note. But imagine these blessings. You're hearing these blessings. And it was only this morning that you walked out of your front door. And you realized straight away that not all things are well in Israel as you walked out of your front door. As you walked out of your front door, you actually hit like a freight train. They didn't have freight trains back then. What would they have had? A big boulder or something. <laughs> but you were actually hit with the reality that something is actually wrong. The reality of today hits you like a ton of bricks because you're thinking to yourself, just because we, we might be living in this promised land called Israel, but we are in no way living in the promises of God because as you look around, you're seeing these soldiers. You're seeing these people who've taken over your land. You're seeing these thugs, these people who own your land. Maybe your memory, like as you're out there, you, you're reminded that, that, that one of your relatives or one of your friends, they used to own some land. In fact, the land that they owned was handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, and they used to work their land. But the taxes, they just went up and up and up and up. It was unfair, but there's nothing they could do. It was completely unjust, and they had to give up their land. And now instead of working their land, they need to work someone else's land. Now, keep in mind, Isaiah 61, strangers are going to work your land. Right? This means something. Right? This means something. We read it and we don't live in the moment, but this means something. When injustice is hitting you and stealing from you and the promises of God say that it's going to be strangers working your land and you're there working someone else's land because your land got stolen, that hits you, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're over there and your heart sinks because you, you remember the, the promises, the prayers, the songs that you sing as you heard your parents tell you when you were young. These scriptures that, that you still go to, to, to synagogue and these promises are still there and your leaders there and you, 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 you're, 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 you're still praying them, you're still believing them. But you know that God has not spoken for 400 years. And you are most definitely under the reign and rule of a ruthless, relentless, powerful king and overlord. And you know the narrative of Israel's story. You know your narrative. You know your God. And you may call him Caesar Augustus, but you know your story. You might as well call him Pharaoh. And that is the backdrop to which Jesus pronounces blessing. That means something, doesn't it? That means something. Especially when he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is made up of such as these. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Now, in the language, the original language for earth is the same language for land. Now, again, you're a Jewish guy or a Jewish lady. Do you really care about the earth or are you just more interested in the promised land? In their mind, their mind is not the earth. This promise is that they're going to get their land. That means something, especially when it just got stolen. Right? This is what is happening in their minds. They're kind of thinking, wait a, wait a minute. The kingdom's breaking in. Does this mean that I'm finally going to get my land? Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, Israel's story. They're not like us. Man, I'm just, look, seriously, I can run with the craziest of Pentecostals. I'm with you, man. I'll go with you. I want to see the face of God. I want to know God and all that. But you know what? When, 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 that, when that promises, for they shall see God, they're not talking about the way we want to see God. Because they know Israel's story. They know their story. You know? They're living in Israel. They, they, they know that they are still in exile because they have an overlord and the land is being desecrated. Like Even like now, looking out, it's being desecrated. And here's the big thought. Here's a big thought which messes with our tradition a little bit. Here's a big thought. Your people, your, your beautiful Israelite Brothers and sisters, you beautiful Jewish people, we are still obviously in sin because we are still in exile, waiting to be delivered. You see, we have such an individual view of things, but they didn't. And in their mind, they're saying, we are still in sin because we are still in exile because we still have this overlord and we have not been delivered as yet. And one of the markers that the exile would be over is that God would return to his temple in the same way, well, in their imagination, it was in the same way that God would be in the temple as in the days of Solomon. Do you remember that story? Solomon builds a temple, consecrates a temple unto God. Glory of God, Shekinah glory comes down. So in Israel's story, we went through this in the Gospel of Mark a couple of years ago, but... Let me just tell you, they're in, they, they, they are in exile. They come back home. And what's the first thing they do when they come back home? They start rebuilding the temple. And then after they rebuild the temple, they consecrate the temple. They pray over the temple, expecting the glory of God to come, just like in the days of Solomon. So they rebuild the temple. They consecrate the temple and nothing. No glory in the temple means they are still in exile. So when Jesus is springing, oh, I'm moving ahead, but anyway, whoever's got this verse, here's a heads up for you. So when Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, that's what they're expecting to see. We're expecting to see God return to his temple. Which makes other stories in the Bible come to life even so much more. Consider this story in light of that. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him what was custom of the, what the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And from Jesus' own mouth, Later on, as an adult, sitting on this mountain, he opened up his mouth and said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in his temple. Doesn't that bring that story back to like That's cool, huh? Let's you know something about Simeon. All of this to say that this is what's going through their minds when these blessings are being pronounced. And when these blessings are being pronounced, Jesus is saying, you're blessed right now. And you've got an inheritance for the future as well. But the reason why you are blessed is because your hope, okay, I'll use that word eschatological hope. If that confuses you, let's just say your hope, your real hope, your biblical hope, the promises of God, they are now fulfilled in me and will be outworked through you. Blessed are those poor spirit, for the kingdom of God belongs to all such as these. Does that make sense? So here's the question for us in 2021, because it's interesting. I mean, if you're like me, I like learning that stuff. It's interesting, you know. Um, it doesn't normally come up in, like, parties, <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like for my own good. Go to a party and like someone brings up a question. Well, what was Jesus meaning when he talked about the Beatitudes? It never happens. <laughs> it's like, oh, Dave, what do you do for a living? I'm a senior pastor. Okay, next question. <laughs> the question for us in 2021 is why, are you, why do you think you're blessed? Why are you blessed? The reason why you are blessed, the reason why I am blessed is exactly the same reason why they were blessed. Right? So why are you waiting for a blessing when you're already blessed? That's what I'd like to know. Why are you waiting for a breakthrough when the kingdom has already broken through? Right? It makes sense. Isn't that the carry-on question from this? Look, I have tried to take us on a journey to, to actually unpack why we are blessed. You're not working for a blessing. You're not praying for a blessing. You're already blessed, man. You're already blessed. Jesus said it. He, he, he strings all of these things together so we know it. You're already blessed. The reason why you're blessed is because everything that God's promised is fulfilled in Jesus. And me as a follower of Jesus Christ, part of this new community, it is now being outworked through me. And now isn't that what he started in Genesis? God's covenantal reign, his covenantal rule is administrated through his covenantal people. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Come on. There are two parts to why we're blessed. Our hope is fulfilled. Our eschatological hope, our biblical hope is fulfilled in Jesus. You'll be so amazed now. I'm about to finish up. This is a miracle today, isn't it? <laughs> and it is to be outworked through us. You and I, if we've given our life to Jesus, we are already blessed. 
It may take some time just to figure that out and start working that out and start walking that out, to actually start believing that. But seriously, like, if we actually have that mindset, isn't that going to get rid of some of this some stupid thinking? Yeah. I mean, if I have a mindset, like, I'm blessed, right? I know it. And then, like, I'm walking down life, and just right in front of me to the right, there is this thing which I can pick up or just walk by. It's called a fence, right? The reason why we say, I took a fence, is because I literally bent down, picked it up, and took it, and I carried it as baggage in my life. Far too many of us have so much baggage in our life and you have no good luggage in your life. This teaching's luggage, man. But you're filled with baggage. You need to get rid of some of that stuff because I'm blessed. I've had people do stuff to me. Are you kidding me? I look like this. I grew up in Armenal. I've got a last name writer. Right? I've had all sorts of stuff. Seriously, it doesn't mean a thing because I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. You give me a million bucks, I'll be blessed. You give me, like, I, I go bankrupt, I'm still going to be blessed. It's not dependent on any of that. It doesn't matter if I've got a car, I've got a bicycle. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if something goes absolutely pear shaped and, like, you know, we. We can't have church anymore. Like, it doesn't even matter because I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just wanted you to know today why you're blessed. It's not because of what you have. It's because of where you are and what Jesus has done. And you've been invited into the kingdom. And now we start working it out. We start outworking it. Did that make sense? All right, let me pray for you and then we're going to worship. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness towards us. We thank you that we are a blessed people. And I ask that as we go from this day into this beautiful week that you've prepared for us to walk into, that we would see this world differently, that we would operate differently. Father, I ask that what's been spoken today, Holy Spirit, that you would bring that to our remembrance and that it would shape us and I pray that there would be a new hunger inside of us to learn and to grow, to be an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus Christ, taking on a posture of a student. I pray that we would not neglect meeting together in its various forms and that we would not neglect the families that you've given us. But you would show your kingdom come and your will being done in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.